have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. And I promise you I'm not messing with you. That is actually in there. Lamentations. If you need your table of contents to find it, there's no shame in that today. So Lamentations, chapter 3. This morning we are beginning a new series, a seven-week series that we are calling Where There's Smoke. So Where There's Smoke. And St. Augustine, a 5th century Christian theologian, or um, if you're like too well educated, you'll say St. Augustine, um, but I'm not. So St. Augustine, uh, who is a 5th century uh, Christian theologian, said that our emotions often function like smoke from a fire, meaning that our emotions, our feelings, reveal the condition of our hearts. They reveal the present reality of our faith. I mean, think of it like this. Um, If you smell smoke in your house, it is not wise to ignore it. Or if your smoke alarm sounds, don't just ignore it because your better half is cooking again. So don't, I mean, don't just say, well, they're cooking again. So, I mean, just don't ignore it. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to focus on seven emotional, spiritual um, concerns that should function like smoke to us, pointing to a fire coming from our hearts. Or to put it in a different way, the Bible would point us to read these emotions as indicators of what is going on this very moment in our hearts. And as with smoke that points to a fire, these emotions and these feelings, they can't be suppressed. They can't be manipulated. They can't just be medicated or um, managed. And the first type of emotion or type of smoke, I guess, that we're going to look at is that of depression. What we know is this, depression and despair can cloud our view of God, it can weigh down our spirits, it can distort our reality, it can tempt us to question all that we have held in our lives to be true. As Charles Spurgeon Um, who struggled himself with depression, wrote, you may be without any real reason for grief and yet may be among the most unhappy of men because for the time your body has conquered your soul. And here's what I know. Depression is like like wearing strangely tinted glasses. Everywhere you look, things are dark, bleak, black, hopeless, helpless, As you walk through depression, all you hear is, all ye who enter here abandon your hope. So your hope is gone. And just think about this. Between discouragement, despair, depression, a lot of factors come together. There are spiritual factors. There are physical, biological factors. There are psychological factors. There are social factors. Factors, And I know that there are many situations even across this room um, this morning. But today, in our time together, we're going to primarily focus on spiritual factors. Now, what I'm not saying, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that depression is only a spiritual matter. What I I am saying is for me to stand up here and try to go into um, clinical depression side is um, way above my pay grade. Um, so I'm not going to play counselor up here today. Instead, I'm going uh, to be a minister of the gospel. And I pray, um, and let me just say this, just because maybe you're not dealing with this or have never dealt with this, don't just, don't just let this go. 
Don't just say this has nothing to do with me, so I'm just going to turn, tune it out because chances are you know someone who is dealing with it. And you missing this opportunity could be an opportunity for you to be a blessing to them. So don't just tune it out because maybe depression is not part of your makeup or not something that you've had to deal with. So, again, not saying it's just a spiritual matter. We know that God has made us a psychosomatic union, union and unity, um, which means that it's impossible to separate our souls from our bodies. So one will inevitably affect the other. So you can't have something affect your soul, not affect your body, and vice versa. Versa, let me just say this for those in this room that are maybe struggling in a very serious way. Medications and counseling may not be for everyone, but let me tell you what is for everyone. Seek help. Seek help. Don't carry it on your own. Don't, don't view this as a scarlet letter over your life of let shame creep upon you and not seek the help that you, that you need. And here's what I know. Depression has often been characterized as kind of a recent phenomenon, meaning it's been, been called the illness of the modern age. But if you read the Bible, you'll find that depression has always been present. It's all over the Word of God. Many great men and women of God struggled with feelings of despair and feelings of darkness. In their book, um, in the book Coping with Depression, and I always hate saying this name, but um, Shang Yang Tan and John Ortberg, I like his name better, um, here's what they write. They say this, and this is so good. Depression is as old as human history. The Bible has many examples of people struggling with this despondency and despair. In his depression and fatigue, Elijah asked for his life to be taken. Jonah felt deeply despondent after God did not destroy Nineveh. Jeremiah regretted the day he was born. Job's wife advised him to curse God and die in the midst of the suffering and pain. Then they write this, Depression is no respecter of persons. Let me say that again because you need to hear that. Depression is no respecter of persons. Yet here is the amazing reality. The crazy, damaged people in Scripture seem to be the, one, the ones in whom God did His greatest work. And what I mean by that is this. Each of these biblical saints were empowered by God to change the world. Not in spite of their afflictions, but because of their afflictions. Understand this, brothers and sisters, we're not here today because we're the powerful ones who made it throughout the week. We're not here today because we're just the wise ones and everyone else are, is, is in this world is unwise. We're here today because God has brought us here. And he has used our weakness and our inability for his glory. So just think about this. It, it sounds odd to say that God uses cracked vessels and discouraged people because discouragement leads to depression which leads to despair which means when you look at the future all you see is darkness and then we're saying yet God is there which kind of brings us to Lamentations 3. The book of Lamentations is a book of laments. It's a book of crying out from the heart to God but also it's a, it's a book that is a work of art. The book of, of Lamentations is really um, 
poems that are given in an acrostic version of the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. You'll notice that um, Lamentations 1, Lamentations 2, Lamentations 4, and 5 all have 22 verses, meaning they are, they are acrostic poems using um, the Hebrew alphabet. Now, chapter 3 has 66 verses, and if we're not careful, we'll just throw it out. But what we need to come back to and say, well, no, these are still an acrostic poem used, using um, three of the letters each time to do the same thing. So it's kind of an amazing work of art. And what Jeremiah is getting at, and I'm going to come back to our alphabet because I know that a little better, is Jeremiah is saying or describing for us every form of suffering from A to Z. And everything in the middle. And maybe you can relate to that. And maybe some of you in here, you say, well, you know, my, my level of suffering is just an A. Others you say, well, I'm definitely at the, the W and the Z. And others of you say, man, I got more letters over here of things going on in my life of different things. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. Every form of suffering from A to Z. And Jeremiah lived during a time where Israel was being delivered um, into exile because of their sin. During his life, Jeremiah witnessed multiple deportations and he witnessed the temple of God being destroyed. Just think about this. During that time, many comforted themselves around Jeremiah by saying the worst is over. And yet the message comes from God to Jeremiah saying the worst is still to come. And not only did God give that message to Jeremiah, then God said, take that message and tell it to others. Just imagine that. And to make things worse, he did, and no one believed him. In fact, not only would they not believe him, they accused him of being a traitor. They put him in a cistern, and according to Jeremiah 38, 6, it says, him in a cistern, and he sunk in the mud. And it was from this place of muddy misery and despair that Jeremiah composed these poems. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to dive into the mud pit with him. Because let's be honest, sometimes our lives get a little muddy. And sometimes we don't know how to get ourselves out. And I pray today that every word that is spoken is, is a word that is and it's right season and a word that, that God gives for his people. So we're going to look at Lamentations 3. We've got a lot of reading to do, so I'm going to let you keep your seats knowing that in your hearts you're standing. That, that's kind of the point, right? Okay. So in your hearts you're standing. So Lamentations 3, uh, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read all the way through verse 33. But just listen to this. Hear this. Feel this. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my way with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. 
He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cover or cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Don't miss it. Jeremiah is saying here, all my hope in God is gone. It's gone. And look at verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Say it with me. Great is The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come before you, we, we pray and we ask. God, speak to us, for we are listening. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. Holy Spirit, minister to us in a way that illuminates your truth. That maybe the darkness of our difficulties have almost drowned out the light, but we pray right now, Holy Spirit, illuminate Illuminate your word and give us your hope. Meet each person in this room in a way that only you can through this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, the book of Lamentations is a lament and doesn't just mean deep pain or deep sorrow. For the, for the Christian, for us, lamenting is also an exercise of faith, meaning it's coming to God and engaging God vulnerably and even honestly, which is sometimes so hard to do. The point of a lament is to cry out to God in the midst of our deep doubts and our troubles and yet say, but God, I trust you. God, I trust you. This is how I feel. This is what I think. But this is what your word says. Therefore, I trust you. You, every single one of these prayers are, they're passionate and they're messy. But they always circle back to faith in him, even in our darkest hours. 
And in those dark hours, know this. In your darkest hour, know, know that God put this book in the Bible, even if it's depressing, so that we would know that in our moments of suffering, He knows how we feel. This book is there so that we can know that our God knows how we feel. And it's okay for us to express these emotions to God. But let me just say this. This book, although it does declare and it also it shows us the honest declarations of Jeremiah, let me just say this very clearly. His declarations are not always accurate. And let me just be very, very clear here. Yes, this book is an honest reflection of how he feels, but it does not and it did not account for everything that God was doing in the moment. And let me just say this very clearly. Hear this. Every day of your life, no one preaches to you more than you do. And let me just go a step further. No one lies to you more than you do. And let me just say, no one lies to me more than I do. We lie to ourselves. All the time, we lie to ourselves. We say, this is how it feels, therefore this is how it must be, and all my hope is gone. And brothers and sisters, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. It's not true. So I pray today that we would come to understand that and come to understand that we can honestly come before God with honest questions. So today, in just a second, you're going to feel like you're getting away with something, but you're not getting away with anything because we're going to unpack two truths and we have a lot of unpacking to do in the midst of those two. So the first thing we're going to unpack together is this. Three declarations in the face of depression. Three declarations, three things that we must declare in the face of, of depression. And this isn't a, a totality picture here, so don't just think that these, these are the only three things that we can say. But here's what I know. Some of you in this room have gone through dark chapters of your life. And some of you are there right now. And you suppress these emotions or you are suppressing them. And you're telling yourself, well, real Christians don't feel this way. Real Christians shouldn't feel like this. And let me say this. Jeremiah did. Job did. David did. Elijah did. Hannah did. And not only do we convince ourselves that Christians shouldn't respond like this, then we begin to declare lies over ourselves. Remember Elijah. Elijah, after praying to God in fire, falling from heaven. And then Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And Elijah gets depressed and he runs off and he says, God, just kill me. Just kill me, God. And God said, do you have any right? What, what, what's going on? What, what's your issue? And Elijah says this, God, I'm the only one who loves you. I'm the only one who cares about you. I alone am the only one left. Sounds like a great cry, doesn't it? But it's a lie. It's a lie. And God came back and said this, Jer or Elijah, there are 7,000 knees who have not bowed down to Baal. Meaning God said this, things are 7,000 times better than you think they are. Amen. Or things are 7,000 times better than you de you're declaring them to be. Brothers and sisters, we will lie to ourselves. 
And Satan will give you lie after lie after lie after lie, which will lead to defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. We must allow God to correct our faulty logic, our faulty thinking, our faulty words. So let me give you three here. Number one, depression does not mean that God is punishing you. Depression does not mean that God is punishing you. Jeremiah is being honest in his despair, even though he is not describing something that's 100% accurate. Just listen to his words. It says, I am the man, in verses 1 and 2, who has seen afflictions under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. He has, verse 4, made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. In fact, that first half of of Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says, He has, He has, He has done this, He has done this. And the question becomes, who's the He he's talking about? And the answer is, God. He's saying, God has done all of this to me. And it's easy to believe when things are bad in our lives that it is a sign of God's displeasure. And what we must understand is that again and again and again, our depression fills our minds with lies tempting us to believe things about God that are not true. Meaning this, if we feel unlovable, then we, we must be unloved. If we feel sadness and hopelessness, then we must be hopeless. If we feel lonely, then we must be alone. If we feel shame, then we must be unforgiven. If we're depressed, then God must be punishing us. When you and I, brothers and sisters, when we are depressed, it won't feel like God is faithful. In fact, it will feel like God is cruel, unrelenting, and that he is punishing us. And let me kind of come back around and say something we said a few weeks ago. Yes, anytime we're going through something, the first question we should ask is, or the first statement is, God, search me and know me. God, search me out. Show me if there is any wickedness, any evil in me. And we do that, and sometimes, guess what? It doesn't go away. And so then we say, well, God must be punishing me. And in moments like that, we need to very quickly go from saying that to saying the words of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Next time, I, let me, I'm going to get in the flesh for a second because I can I mean, who's going to stop me? Um, I get so sick of hearing Christians say, I'm just cursed. I'm just cursed. No, you aren't. If you're a child of God, you are not cursed. You have the blood of Jesus over you. Stop saying things that aren't true. You're not cursed. You're a child of God. You're saved by Him. You're not cursed. Stop saying things that aren't true. So depression does not mean God is punishing you. Second of all, depression does not mean God has abandoned you. Doesn't mean he's abandoned you. Look at verses 6 and 8 and then verse 17. It says, he has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled me about so I cannot escape. Though I call and cry for help. Verse 17, he shuts out my prayer. My soul is bereft of peace. It's gone. I have forgotten what happiness is. So depression can also cause us to feel an overwhelming sense of loneliness. 
as if the world has moved on without us, and now we are becoming something so much different than what we were. And then even worse, our despair and our loneliness leads us to believe that God has given up on us. He has abandoned us. In his book, Spurgeon's Sorrows, written about Charles Spurgeon, the prince of, of preachers who struggled himself with depression, Zach Eswine writes these words, Depression of spirit is no index of declining grace. It is, it is Christ and not the absence of depression that saves us. Let me say that again. It is Christ and not the absence of depression that saves us. So we declare this truth. Our, our sense of God's absence does not mean that he is so. Though our bodily gloom allows us no feeling of his tender touch, he holds on to us still. And then he says this, our feelings of him do not save us. He does. Let me say it again. Our feelings of him don't save us. He saves us. If, if you're depressed, it can, be, it can be dangerous to evaluate anything in your life. And what I mean by that is this. Don't, in the midst of depression, don't scrutinize your circumstances. Don't scrutinize your friendships. Don't scrutinize your abilities. Don't even scrutinize your relationship with God. I can assure you, you will misinterpret reality. You will. You will get it wrong. And here's what we have to understand. Brothers and sisters, faith, contrary to popular demand, is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. There are so many Christians that their whole picture of faith is based on how they feel. And their life is like a roller coaster of ups and downs with zero stability at all. I don't know if you know this. Our feelings change fast and often. I mean, it changed so fast. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is believing that God will do what he has said, even when it doesn't feel like it. When you're depressed, it will not feel like God is faithful, but he is. When you're depressed, it won't feel like God is working for your good, but he is. When you're depressed, it won't feel like God is near, but he is. Depression does not mean that God has abandoned you. And then number three, depression does not mean God can't use you. Doesn't mean that God can't use you. Just listen to verse 11, verses 15 and 16, verse 18. He has made me desolate. He has filled me with bitterness, with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. So I say, verse 18, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. My hope in, from God is gone. There might be some sitting here right now, and you, you might feel disqualified, you might feel damaged. But damage does not mean ineffective, and it does not mean done. Let me say it again, damage does not mean done. Elijah was depressed, even asked God to take his life, and yet God wasn't done. David went through so much depression, yet God wasn't done. Hannah struggled, yet God wasn't done. Jeremiah struggled deeply, and yet God wasn't done. You might right now feel like you're in a desolate place. You're in a wilderness. You might be filled with bitterness. You might feel like all hope is gone. 
Though we might feel useless under a cloud of despair and under a cloud of depression, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Yes, you might need time to heal. Yes, you might need time to grieve. Yes, you might need time. But God isn't done. He's not done. He's not done with you. The fact that you're here today shows He's not done with you. Don't let the enemy tell you any different when depression and despondency strip us of our natural ability to feel um, hope and to see hope. We must understand that deep down in a place that even our emotions can't touch, someone greater is holding on to us. Let me say it again. When depression and despondency hit us, in ways where we can't see hope, we must know that deep down, even in places where our emotions can't reach, someone greater is holding on to us. And he is holding us up. And when others see our dependence on Christ, even in the midst of darkness, when it doesn't make sense, we become a picture of his sustaining grace. So faith starts with honesty before God, but it doesn't stop there. It continues with obedience to God. So we're going to move on from three declarations in the face of depression to our second truth, which is four expressions in the midst of depression. Four expressions, so four acts of faith, four things that we must do in the midst of depression. And the first is this, remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness of God. We just sang about it, right? He's good. He's good. He's good. He is good. Jeremiah says this in Lamentation 3.21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now he goes on to talk about the mercies of God, and then in verse 25 he says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Him. So what is Jeremiah in the midst of his despair? What does he call to mind? He calls to mind that God is good. Jeremiah is saying in the midst of my pain, I'm not clinging to my pain, God. I'm clinging to you. And you're good. How does Jeremiah know that God is good? He looked back. God was good to Israel even though God didn't have to. He didn't have to be. We know in our lives, in the life of Jesus, God sent him to die for our sins when he didn't have to. God could have justly said, you guys deserve hell, and that's what you're going to get. That would have been just. Sometimes we think that God had to save us because, look, why wouldn't he? No, God chose to save us because he's gracious and he's good. Remember how good he is. He's a good, good father. But look at verse 21 again. Hold there. Jeremiah says, but this I call to mind. Meaning that this thought isn't a natural thought. Jeremiah is saying, I had to put it there. I had to put this thought there. Brothers and sisters, having faith in the midst of difficulty is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. And we have to sometimes put it there. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones called it preaching to yourself. In fact, he said this, There is a sense in which the primary task of scriptures is to teach us how to talk to ourselves. 
Now, granted, I know this word shows us and leads us into salvation, but also it shows us how to talk to ourselves. That we, within us is not the truth. There's lies there. We have to learn the word of God so we can know how to talk to ourselves. Let me put it this way. Did you know that your emotions don't have brains? Or to put it this way, your emotions can't think. They can't show faith. You have to think for them. You have to think for them. You have to put thoughts in your own head. And then you can tell yourself how to feel. Here's a phrase I want you to remember. I'm going to say it twice so that you will remember. We must never feel our way into beliefs. We must believe our way into our feelings. Never feel your way into your beliefs. Believe your way into your feelings. And I'm not talking about a name it and claim it kind of deal here. What I'm saying is this. If you depend on your feelings, your belief will be weak and unstable. But if you say, God, this is what your word says, even though it doesn't feel like it, and I'm believing it. I'm believing it, God. I'm believing it. And as we say it and declare it, there are times, and people might think I'm crazy, um, but there are times where I have to I get a passage and I say it over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm not going to stop saying this until my feelings come on board with it. I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep going. And sometimes I'll just break it down into like a, a small phrase and I'll just keep saying it all day. In my mind, sometimes it comes out and people might look at me like I'm crazy, but it keeps going. And it keeps going because I'm going to let what I believe determine how I feel. And, and, and not the opposite. Luther used to call this drowning out the voices of despair with a louder word of the gospel. Martin Luther. Think about this. Martin Luther, the Reformation. Did you know that he went through such deep depression that his wife took out all the knives in their home for fear that he would kill himself? Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers went through such great depression they would have to take him on a cot and take him to where he was preaching they would take him to the pulpit they would lift him up he would preach by the grace of God when he was done he would fall over because they would have the cot waiting and they would take him home real demonstrations of belief even in the midst of depression in fact Luther would shout at the devil and he would say this no I have not been abandoned I've not been forsaken God's word tells me and Jesus's death proves it and what does it prove he is good he is good remember the goodness of God secondly receive all lessons from God so receive all lessons from God I want to be very careful here because I don't want you to I don't want to give the impression um, that every bit of pain that we go through is God trying to teach us a lesson and that God won't remove that pain until we get it. That's not what Scripture says um, as far as on the whole. That's not what Scripture says. It, there's no indication that Jeremiah was suffering here because of his own sin. The picture is that he was suffering because of the sins of Israel. He was suffering for the sins of, of others. And he had faith and trusted God, yet he suffered. But then listen to what he declared. He said in verses 26 through 28, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. And the reason that suffering is good is because God chooses to work in our suffering even though God, all, or God most of the time doesn't choose to reveal the cause of our suffering. Let me say it again. God chooses to always work in our suffering, even though he doesn't always choose to reveal the cause of our suffering. 
Thank Job here, in case you're, you're wondering. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we suffer because we have an idol in our hearts that needs to be taken out. And we suffer in order to remind ourselves that what we're trusting in can't save us. Other times we suffer because we've not humbled ourselves. And because we haven't humbled ourselves, our pride now forces God to come in and humble us. So God has come in and saying, okay, you wouldn't humble yourself, so here I am. <laughs> Got to do it the hard way. Other times our suffering leads us to wait on God, which is a very good thing to do because God prepares us for something else. And other times, hear this, through our pain, through our suffering, God gives us the ability to relate to someone else in ways that we would have never been able to without that pain or suffering. Don't, don't miss it here. Spurgeon even said, I would gladly go into the depths of depression a hundred times in order to learn how to cheer a downcast spirit that I might better know how to speak a word in season to the weary. Receive all lessons from God knowing this. Brothers and sisters, God won't waste anything. He won't waste any hurt, any pain, anything that you're going through. God won't waste it. He'll use it. He will use it. Receive all lessons from God. Third, and quickly, realize your portion is God. So third, realize your portion is God. In verse 24, Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Portion is a word that the Jews used to refer to an allotment of land or an inheritance. It was their inheritance that was passed down from generation to generation. And basically, Jeremiah here is saying this. I don't have any land left because the Babylonians have took it all. They've taken everything. I don't, we don't have anything left. And then Jeremiah says, oh, hang on. But I do because I have God. And he's enough because he's better than land. He's a better inheritance. One pastor put it this way. Think of a pie. We're Baptists, so that shouldn't be hard for us to do. But think of a pie. And there's a piece or a slice that represents health. There's a slice that represents a good marriage. There's a slice that represents prosperity in our job. There's a slice that represents our name being known. There's a slice that represents a great future for our children. And then ask yourself, which slice will you choose? And what Jeremiah says is, God's presence, that's my slice. I want his presence. I want his fellowship above everything else. God is my portion. He is what my soul needs most. And what we come to realize, brothers and sisters, is as our souls begin to do that, and as we begin to understand who God is, everything else falls in the place where it should. Our marriages work better. Our Opportunities and, and the wisdom that we need to raise our children just works better. The way we do our jobs just work better when we understand that God is all we need. And we're doing it unto Him. Realize your portion is God. I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 73, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He will be our portion forever. Realize your portion is God. And then lastly, number four, rest in the mercies of God. 
Rest in the mercies of God. We took on this passage a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, but it, it preaches just as good on a Sunday morning. In verses 22 through 23, listen to what he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right in the middle of this terrible book, we read that the mercies of God are new every morning. And what that means, don't miss this. It means that each day's mercies are given specifically for that day. We spend a lot of our days worrying about tomorrow. Anybody else? Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Yet the word tells us that the strength that we need for tomorrow will be given to us tomorrow. It'll be given, the strength we need for today will be given to us today. We're worrying about tomorrow's mercies and tomorrow's strength. And God has said, I'll give you what you need tomorrow. Just trust me now for today. Trust me now. We put it a couple weeks ago. The mercies of God are like the manna in the wilderness. All except for the day before the Sabbath. They couldn't take more than they needed. God would cause it to spoil. They had to take what they needed just for that day. And trust God that there would be more waiting for them tomorrow. What we know is this. God has appointed every day's troubles God has also appointed every day's mercies. Great is his faithfulness. And what that means is this. His faithfulness is greater than our faithlessness. It means that his joy is greater than our sorrow. It means that his mercy is greater than our pain. It means that his hope is greater than our despair. For those of you in this room whose depression has a primary spiritual root cause, this hope drives us or it drives the depression away. Your emotions might be telling you that there is nothing ahead but darkness, despair, or pain. But because of the gospel, we look and we say, no, Jesus is alive. Therefore, that means my life doesn't end in defeat. It ends in victory. So it doesn't matter what my feelings or emotions tell me because Jesus is who he says he is and because he's done what he says he would do. My life doesn't end in defeat. My life ends in victory. My life doesn't even end in death. It ends in life in him forever. Don't miss the picture. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was not unfamiliar with pain and suffering. He knew temptation, he knew sorrow, he experienced rejection and loss and poverty and loneliness and abuse. There is not one tear you have ever shed or one tear that I will ever shed that he does not understand. In other words, someone put it this way. Jesus lived in the darkness of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, so that we might live in the light of his mercies, of verses 21 through 23. Jesus lived in the darkness. In fact, if you read, read it again on your own time and just realize everything that Jeremiah is saying, Jesus went through. Jeremiah was saying, this is how I feel. And Jesus said, no, this is how I live. And I'll live this way so that you can have salvation that you can never earn on your own. Jesus went into depression so that we could get out of it. Let me end this way. We're going to put a, a verse on the screen, and this is Psalm 42. And if you find yourself struggling 
with depression, struggling with despair. A good way to maybe begin or start to begin your day would be to read this psalm. Psalm 42 is a beautiful, heartfelt psalm from David. And in the middle of it, David says this. Just listen to this. David says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why is God, my soul, why are you cast down? And then he says this, and why are you in turmoil within me? So David is saying, why? Why is there turmoil in my soul? Why is my soul cast down? And then he begins to preach to himself. And listen to what he says. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I'm going to ask you to stand. Here's how we're going to end this time this morning before or as an instrumentalist, as the band comes forward. We're going to say this verse together. So if we can put that on the, on the screen one more time. We're going to say this together. And I don't know how this is going to hit you. I don't know what place you are in your life. And, or maybe this is future grace that God is giving you in this moment. But we're going to say this verse together. And I'm just believing, as has been prayed over, that this word will do what it, has, what it intends to do today. And it will meet us right where it needs to meet us this day. So if you can join me in, in just declaring these words together. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, we are a broken people and we are broken because we need you. We can do nothing apart from you. Lord, we continue to be broken when we choose to run away from you. And yet, Lord, I don't want to minimize that there are also times as we're walking in the path that you have called us to that there is difficulty. And there is pain and there is sorrow and there are things that we would never have anticipated coming into our lives. Yet instead of choosing to believe our feelings and choosing to believe the lies that so quickly come um, up to us and out of our minds, help us to believe a better word. And God, you've given us a better word. For you've given us a true and living word. A word that's able to cast out lies. A word that's able to cast out fears. A word that's able to cast out our discouragement and despair. Yes, there are days that we say, why is my heart and my soul downcast? Why is everything within my body and mind in turmoil? And yet, God, help us to preach to ourselves by saying we will yet praise him. We will praise you. We will hope in you. You are our salvation. You're our God. Lord, help us to declare that in this moment. God, whatever it is that you're doing, finish it. Have your way. In Jesus' name.